Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with Yash Examiner. Now, how much does big tech... The, the companies of like Facebook, Google, Amazon, and a whole range of other companies whom don't trip off the tongue as lightly, but are certainly out there. How much do they all know about us? How much influence do they have on us? How much can they potentially breach our privacy? And how big an influence are they on our lives? The role of big tech has increased exponentially, I would suggest, in recent years or possibly decades even. But a big question arises as to whether elected governments have kept up with them to an extent that they can protect us, the citizens. In that vein, the Irish Council of Civil Liberties has just brought out a report entitled Europe's Enforcement Paralysis that suggests data protection agencies, and particularly the one in this country, are simply not up to the job of looking after our interests or are certainly not resourced enough to do so. So where does that leave us all in what you might call the Wild West of cyberspace? Joining me to discuss this is the author of said report, Dr. Johnny Ryan from the ICCL. Johnny, you're very welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you, Mick. Thanks for having me. Johnny, we'll come to the report in a minute, but in broad terms, I mean, it is fair to say, I'd suggest that uh, big tech has major influence on us, has their claws into us, so to speak. Well, that may be fair to say. It's certainly fair in my life, as I think about how I live. Technology firms are heavily involved in what I do every day. And probably for everyone else, COVID has forced us and them to spend more time online. But online, we know we're facing a deepening privacy crisis. We see headlines about predatory profiling of vulnerable people, maybe by gambling firms. That was a big New York Times headline a few months ago. And we're familiar with the headlines about electoral manipulation, and ICCL has exposed some of those. And maybe less familiar to us, but you can feel it, you can feel it, is that the market of services that we consume is being constrained because the big players, the big tech players are so dominant. And what's really worrying here is that five years ago, a new law was introduced to prevent precisely this. The General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, was the child of that Snowden revelation that shocked everyone about what what might be happening. And Europe's uh, Europe's legislators resisted the strongest lobbying onslaught that had ever been mounted by industry. And after a two-year grace period, we, we saw our enforcer, the Data Protection Commission given powers to make sure that these terrible things would never happen. And unfortunately, those powers don't really seem to be used to protect us. Okay, Johnny, and when you mentioned the Snowden revelation, these are the revelations that came from Edward Snowden, the whistleblower who released uh, huge tranches of 
files that showed, I think in particular, how much the uh, US, various arms of the US government knew about what was going on in other countries, in other companies and societies and that kind of thing. Yes, and uh, what it showed was that in that case, government had its hooks into companies that were providing different services and had an insight into people's intimate lives. And so although it was a government that was involved there, the US government and a US government agency, it showed how much information from people's lives was available to these companies too. Right. And you have a background. You've been across a, a bit of media, I think, Johnny. At one stage, you worked for the Irish Times. And um, did you get a kind of an insight into how much information that is available to the big companies in terms of how we, we go about our everyday lives? Well, I think when I worked at the Irish Times, Mick, I, I wasn't aware of these things. Um, my job was to uh, help get us at the Irish Times more engaged in the digital world, you know, um, see if we could be doing interesting digital things at a time when the Irish Times felt it wasn't engaged enough. Now, retrospectively, uh, some of the things that, that I pushed, and I alone, by the way, this is blame purely on me, not on anyone else, <laughs> mea culpa. Um, some of the things that I was pushing for, in retrospect, I now realise were were terribly dangerous and silly on my part. Um, And I I know that because after I left the Irish Times a few years later, I ended up working for a company that was in the online advertising industry. And that was where I got my insight. And let me give you a flavour of the kind of thing that happens to you, Mick, every time you visit The Examiner or any other commercial webpage um, or every time you use a commercial app. You visit the thing, the page or the app, you load the article. And in a millisecond, well, in a, in a split second, 200 milliseconds, information about you, what you're reading, which could be pretty embarrassing, Mick, what you're reading, where you're standing, <laughs> where you're standing uh, and what your interests might be, are sent out to tens or hundreds of different companies without any control over what is then done with them. Now, that sounds like it might be okay. But along with that go ID codes that are highly specific to you. And it means that everything you've ever read or watched or listened to online and where you've ever been in the real world can be put together into a dossier about you. Now, we're getting slightly away from the topic of this week, which is our report on the GDPR, but we're, we're, we're getting close to something that ICCL yeah. did recently. We launched litigation in Hamburg against the online advertising industry. And part of our evidence is the industry's own documentation, its own rule books that define what can be in the hidden dossiers about Mick when he's online. And in that document, and we've made it public, you'll see the craziest things, uh, codes for specific things. Does this guy have a substance abuse issue? Is he interested in online gambling, offline gambling? What's his religion? Does he have STDs? Is he infertile? You know, is he conservative? The most intimate things. How do you know all these things about me? <laughs> well, and now, now imagine, imagine if we I know, were, go ahead, yeah. But imagine if we were just to take a record of everything you took out of the library, right? Yeah. 20 years ago, that would have been an unforgivable invasion of your privacy, right? But that's what's happening all the time about you and everyone else a record built by parties 
that you're not aware of, of everything you're doing online, almost everything. Now, that's a reality, and we're litigating against it right now to try and end it. But that's the kind of thing. In fact, that's exactly the thing that I brought to the DPC's attention more than three years ago. And they finally launched an investigation into it. It took 11 months. So that was back in uh, 2019, I think. They finally launched an investigation. This year, they have yet to finish defining what it is they plan to investigate. Gotcha. When you, I, I, like, I, I had an idea, Johnny, about that thing of, of, of them cluing into what you've an interest in. But the point you make that, say, for instance, I, I read one piece and the code that's there, can they match that with, for example, what I've read over the yeah. last year? What yes. Are, for example, if I go to Amazon, what products I bought, yes. what books, what yes. anything else? All of that can be linked together to provide a profile in order to bang as much advertising as possible at me, that kind well, of Well, I agree with everything you said, except the in order to bit. It may be used to show you ads, but we also don't know what else it's used for. So let's imagine we have a profile of what makes Mick tick. Uh, one, one code, for example, is does he have a particular type of cancer? Or does his child have special needs? That kind of stuff. It's that level of intimacy. Now, if I am, uh, if I'm a robot, uh, you know, uh, an automated system whose job is to sift through the CVs of job applicants. Maybe I've been told, don't accept anyone with a gambling problem. Right? That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Right. Or um, you want to buy an airline ticket, but so do I. But I look like a better prospect for some reason or other. <laughs> is my seat cheaper than yours? We don't know. In, in the black box of how things are priced, these are the kind of things you need to start thinking about. And you should not have to think about them. And it gets worse because you have to start thinking that way about your insurance premium, whether you're accepted for a mortgage, those kinds of things. We don't know what these intimate dossiers about us and what makes us tick are being used for. But one thing I promise you is that this will be a scandal in the next election. In September last year, ICCL wrote to the Minister for Justice and wrote to the DPC and said, we have found dossiers about Irish people who suffer from chronic pain, X number of people, and Y number of people who suffer AIDS. And we found that data in the hands of a Polish data broker that got it from the system we told you about years ago that you have done nothing about. And the same Polish data broker was involved in nudging the Polish election and said as much in its own marketing material. <laughs> so you're going to start seeing this leakage of data about what we're all watching, reading, listening to, where we are, where we spend time. You're going to start seeing that play in uh, micro-targeting of voters. And that is not where we want to be. And two things out of that, Johnny. The Polish broker, presumably in terms of, as you say, that whoever that is, had an influence in the Polish elections. But presumably in terms of any dossiers, they would have Irish people. They would use them for commercial purposes to sell on to advertisers that can be used in that way. And the other one thing, you, you mentioned about medical conditions and that and knowing that. Is that on the basis of uh, attempting to put you in the direction of particular medical products or to flog particular things to you? We don't know what these data can be used for. That's the problem. 
There have been several scandals in the United States where ICE, you know, this is the the agency responsible for returning migrants who yes. are undocumented or whatever, where ICE has been using these data to find people. There have been other examples where the military has been using these data to find people. The point is, a data broker is a business that exists to make money by selling data about people. It'll sell the data to private investigators, to anybody, really, uh, it seems. Let me give you an example of just how dark this gets. Amnesty International, just before Trump came into office, published a report. The report was about Trump's promise that he would build a list of Muslims in the United States. Do you recall that? He, mm. he made this crazy uh, promise. What Amnesty said is, Trump does not need to build a list of Muslims. He can buy that list from these data brokers. <laughs> now, that's what we're talking about. It is terrifying. If you're not terrified, it's because you haven't quite figured out just how exposed we all are. Yeah. And then, as you say, one element of is the commercial. The other, of course, is the political. And we have seen that. We saw it most particularly in uh, Trump's election. But the huge thing there, Johnny, isn't it, that basically the individual has this relationship with the uh, big tech company, Facebook, Google, whomever. It's a, a one-on-one effectively. There's nobody there to moderate it. And therefore, if you're being fed news of a particular variety, if it spots that you have some particular prejudice, it kind of reinforces those prejudice the whole time. And there is literally no fact checking of anything that's being fired out at you. You as a reporter, as you well know, Mick, are subject to certain checks and balances. And if you make a mistake, it's out there in the public. You know, you might or might not get taken to task, get held to account, but it's out there in the public. But unless you work for one or other newspaper in the, in the UK, your business model is not to amplify the extremes. That is not a thing that we're used to, at least in Ireland, luckily, in our print media. Now, we're having this conversation and, and it's about harms at the moment, but I want to take you back to where we started. I described some of the harms and then I said, luckily, the legislators stepped in and said, this shall never happen here in Europe because we have fundamental rights to protection of your private life and your personal data. And so we had the GDPR and the GDPR created or reinstated supervisory authorities and it gave them amazing powers. Instead of Johnny or Mick having to wear tinfoil hats and be worried, we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to go and live our lives. Instead of us being worried, the law sets up these supervisory authorities, these enforcers, and they have the power under law to obtain access to any premises. That's a quote. To obtain any information. If you lie to them, you can be put in jail. That's the power they have. doesn't matter how big the company is. And they've even more power because if they find that any entity has misbehaved, they can not only fine the company or government department or whatever, they can compel even the biggest companies in the world to stop using our data. And remember, that's the business model of these companies. So our enforcers have the power of life and death over these firms that have been misbehaving. And among all of the enforcers across the EU, 
It is the Irish Data Protection Commission that has a particular responsibility. Because so many of the big tech firms are headquartered here in Dublin, Mick. Yeah. Our enforcer is the lead authority. Now, that's not just power, it's also responsibility, he says, quoting Spider-Man, or Peter's uncle in Spider-Man. <laughs> Here's the responsibility. If the lead authority, in this case, Ireland, for Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, TikTok, you name it, if the lead authority doesn't progress a case, no one else can do anything about that case. So in the three years since the GDPR was applied, right, that's May 2018 and counting all the way to May 2021, in those three years, the Irish Data Protection Commission had responsibility for 164 big EU cases that involve other countries too. So not just complaints in Ireland, but things that matter for across the EU. 164 cases. And those numbers come, by the way, from the EU system that coordinates these cases. Of those 164 cases, the DPC progressed only four of them to the draft decision stage that allows the other enforcers to then agree on what, what we're all going to do. That's 2%. So let me say that in one sentence. In the three years since the GDPR, the DPC's backlog has been 98% of these big EU significant cases. And that means that we're paralyzing the GDPR and big tech can run amok. Indeed. I suppose, Johnny, everybody will be familiar with the term GDPR. And to a certain extent, people will be familiar that it, uh, I suppose some of us would regard it as a pain in the butt, as they might say, uh, in terms of what it means in terms of restricting data because it's inconvenient compared to what it was. But I think people are getting used to it. Now, having said that, the big issue is, is it having the effect on big tech that it was designed to do to ensure that all of our data that they gather in the ways that you've described will not be there potentially to be abused. Is it being effective in that respect? Absolutely not. And that is not the problem or fault of the GDPR itself. The GDPR has not been aggressively enforced by the enforcers, primarily by the DPC. And Ireland, unfortunately, is the bottleneck of enforcement against big tech. Now, people might think it's a nuisance having these pop-up notices. You know, every time you go online, there's a pop-up and you click. Even, Cookies and this sort of thing. Yeah. Those notices, by the way, are the subject of a legal proceeding led by us at ICCL in Belgium because they also infringe the GDPR. They are, How do they do that, uh, so, Johnny? So they are compliance theatre. Uh, here's the way it works. We're going to have a big data free-for-all where thousands of companies, in theory, can learn that Mick is looking at this particularly unsavory web page. <laughs> and nice he's doing client. so from this particularly unsavory part of town or, or whatever. Now, that's a data breach. Letting all those companies know that and then having no control over what they then do with what they know about you. So you've got this big broadcast about what Mick's doing online. And it's a data breach because there's no control over the data. But then the industry covers that with a veneer of legality by getting Mick to click OK. But you can't give consent to something that's illegal. It's a data breach. Right. It's the biggest data breach we've ever had. And in the evidence we've submitted on that question, 
we've shown that it happens hundreds of billions of times a day. It's easily the biggest data breach in history. So we're actually anticipating a decision about that question uh, in the next few months in Belgium. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. So can I get this right, Johnny? Those pop-ups called cookies usually... Nonsense. And when you press OK in that, you're effectively... It's meaningless. But are you nominally giving permission for companies to access where you are or that kind of thing? In theory, you are being asked for permission. But yeah. no one knows what they're asking for permission for. Yeah. Because the system just, just vents the data into the ether. It's the equivalent, Mick, of you and I walking up to the roof of a skyscraper where I'm promising you a picnic. And I said, Mick, I've got this box of all your childhood memories. We're going to talk about your life. And by the way, is that okay? Just sign this bit of paper and I'm going to give you a great picnic. When we get to the roof, I take that box of all of your childhood memories and I throw it over the edge, fully anticipating that on the street below, all my business partners are going to run along and photocopy all of your papers. Now, you having signed, I agree, to something on, on the way up up to the roof of the skyscraper is meaningless. Now, that's that's the legal argument, by the way, that we are having right now with the tracking industry. And as I said, I think that that problem will be solved actually in the next half year. And we've been working on that for years. But here's the thing. The people who work at the enforcers wake up and click the same buttons and they didn't do anything about it until we forced them to. So we have a strangely placid and docile set of all-powerful enforcers. And it, it somehow falls on the ICCL and others to go to court and litigate. So we're litigating, you know, in Ireland, in Germany, in Belgium. We shouldn't have to. The state And why are they? Outrageous. Why are they so docile? I, I don't have an answer for this. Uh, what I have is a recommendation. And this is the recommendation we've been pushing for a year. And I'm glad to say the Justice Committee of the Oireachtas is now pushing the same thing exactly. We've been saying that government needs to urgently launch an independent review of the DPC and figure out what's going on. How can these guys be reformed and strengthened? It isn't just about pumping money in, by the way. There are other issues, it seems, at play. And I can, I can tell you why I think that. In February, we exposed that the DPC's project to overhaul its internal tech, it was using this ancient system called Lotus Notes, that its, its, its project to overhaul that system, which it was supposed to produce results before the GDPR right, in 2018, has been delayed for five years and has cost, the cost has mounted to you know, over a million euro. And when we, we FOIA'd them, the first response was, Oh, I'm not sure we can respond to that because the project has now extended to 5,925 pages of records. Now, that sounds to me like a project that has gone totally out of control. Now, in that case, you've got an inability to reform on that particular tech issue. And clearly, finance was not the issue. We need an independent review of that organization to figure out how to make it work, because clearly, if it's only advancing 2% of its caseload and holding up the rest of Europe and making bad headlines all over Europe, this is a problem. 
Okay, so we have the scenario as you, and you, as laid out in the report that basically those who are charged with protecting us from the complete dissemination of all our data on every time we effectively click online for anything are simply not doing the job. And as the, the two issues, as you say, number one, because so many big tech companies are headquartered here, disproportionately, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner has a far bigger burden than in other European countries. And the other thing is just the whole approach to the job doesn't appear to be proactive. Now, one thing that would strike me there, Johnny, is a scenario like that, um, it, the, 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 in terms of politically, is it a question that governments and the body politic in the first instance are not exercised about it because they don't believe that the general population are exercised about it. In the second instance, is it is it anything in it that they're not exercised about it because it may upset the very big tech companies that are located in this country and are providing an awful lot of jobs? You know, there are three layers of failure here. Um, First, the enforcer, the Data Protection Commission, has clearly failed. Um, now, I, I want to make clear, there are areas where they've had success. They were, uh, they did produce good work on the uh, public services card. That's true. Um, recently, they've been, uh, I think, effective on questions of um, new guard of powers and so on. So when dealing with the public sector, things seem to be moving far more smoothly. The focus here is on big tech, exactly as you said. There's a problem in the DPC with big tech, and it's now a problem for Europe. But the problem is not only at the DPC. Clearly, the Irish state is responsible for the DPC. And that raises a third level of problem. I said there were three. It is the European Commission's job to oversee that European law is correctly applied. That's why the European Commission is called the guardian of the treaties. And very strangely, in the Directorate General of Justice at the European Commission, the focus is not on seeing that the GDPR is properly applied. The focus is on the next generation of legislation. There's a thing coming down the track called the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, and a new piece of law on artificial intelligence. And that seems to have them absorbed. What we should have seen by now was that manners were put on any member states that jeopardized the European objective of data protection. And what can happen is the European Commission actually takes countries to court for failing to properly apply the law. So we've got three tiers of a problem. The Commission has taken its eye off the ball. So this week we've, we've forced it, we've confronted it actually, by publishing this report, you know, it made the front page actually of the Financial Times. It was in Le Monde, Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, uh, El Pace. It was everywhere across Europe. So that should wake the Commission up. Now they're back from their summer break. We're also keen to see that the Justice Committee is, is pushing its report and its recommendations from before the summer on this too. But this is a, a tricky uh, problem where you need to find ownership. And the ownership actually rests with, on the one hand, Artishok and Minister of Justice, and on the other hand, with the European Commission. They both need to be held to account, and that's what we're, we're going to do. Now, you raised a question about a convivial environment for tech firms. Um, this is something I am asked about 
by my European colleagues regularly. Uh, until up to a year ago, I worked in a Silicon Valley tech firm and it was called Brave. And the guy I was working for was the guy who invented JavaScript. So I was right in that world. And I know that what my colleagues in the tech world wanted to know about the GDPR was, are you European serious about this new law? <laughs> and the answer, it turns out, is none of us were, right? None of us. It, it was our shield against dystopia, and we weren't serious about it. But here's the other thing. There was a time when Europe mattered, when everyone had their eyes on Europe. Now it's 100 years ago, but there was a time when Europe really set the agenda. The GDPR is one of the last times that Europe has done that. It, it remains, although waning, it remains a regulatory superpower. And even the Chinese have literally carbon copied the GDPR. Uh, in their new information security standard. And you see ca carbon copies in India, Brazil, all around the world. They've all taken this GDPR thing because they thought we were serious too. And what has happened is that Europe has allowed one of the last jewels in its crown to potentially fade. So if the GDPR loses credibility, this is going to do damage to Europe standing in the world and it's going to da do damage to each of us because we're going to find ourselves um, micro-targeted, misled, poorly sold to, denied services, potentially, you know, cut out of job opportunities and discriminated against. And what, Johnny, of that other point I made about there appears not to be any urgency among the general public to have this address, notwithstanding when people sit down and it's explained to them and they suddenly realise, oh Christ, I never realised they were into me for that much. But that's not the real world. The real world is the vast majority of people don't, that they don't go through that process. And is, is there a huge amount of apathy out there as a result? Well, I think it is inevitable. If you have a polluter putting mercury into the water, and this has not happened before, you don't in the first few weeks or perhaps even the first few years get a public outcry. Yeah. We are screaming and shouting about this and pulling levers to make change happen before people start to feel the full effect of the harm. I think the protection of personal data seems so abstract and it's almost like your pension or your health insurance. I'm now at a point in my life where my pension and health insurance mean far more to me than they would have 10 years ago. <laughs> and they'll mean more and more to me next decade. You know, you put off a concern for these things until they matter, until it's too late. The issue, though, with the protection of your personal data is you can't even foresee the risk. And I'm going to give you a, a concrete example from not too long ago. There's a moment, a dark moment in European history in the 1870s, I think, when um, a sect, a religious sect in Paris, the Huguenots, many of whom then fled to, yeah. to Dublin, uh, when, the, when a very large number of Huguenots who lived all over Paris were slaughtered in their beds. Now, how did the bastards who killed them, how did they perform the logistical feat of a genocide in a city without mobile phones? How do they know where these people even were? And the answer seems to be that they used the personal data in the Paris tax roll. Right. Now, that is a clear 
um, you would call that an infringement of the purpose limitation principle. Data protection law is built to avert crises like that. The most recent but exactly the same problem happened in Afghanistan. You may have seen these facial recognition tools that the Americans were using fell into the hands of the Taliban. And now the Taliban have an information system, just like the Paris tax roll, to go and find the people who they want to kill or persecute <laughs> because the data fell into the wrong hands. It is scary. There's absolutely no doubt about that, the extent. And as you say, I think it hasn't registered with people fully whatsoever yet. One other thing then, Johnny, that strikes me, as you say, so much falls on the Irish Data Protection Commissioner on the basis of so many big tech companies are headquartered here. Is there any way around that, that despite them being headquartered here, there could be perhaps a, a European agency or, God, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe give it to somebody really efficient like the Germans or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Rather than Ireland having responsibility for it on the basis of, of the headquarters. So there's there's been some action at the European Court of Justice by other member states that that wanted to avoid having to go through Dublin. And what they were told is, when the lead authority, and I'm quoting here, has persistent administrative inertia, <laughs> what a phrase, then yeah. you can sidestep them. It for, it? Yes, right. Then you can sidestep them for a limited time. Um, uh, you know, so yes, we're starting to see a kind of a bleeding around the edges. But there's another problem which comes to mind from your question, Mick. I mentioned there's a whole lot of new European law that'll define other parts of the digital economy. A lot of that law is built on the on the idea that Dublin would stay the kind of super regulator for the rest of Europe in these other areas too. That would mean we'd have even greater opportunity. Instead of being a largely irrelevant island off the edge of Europe, this would be the place where decisions are made about the digital future. Now, for that to happen, we need to show our European peers that we're, we fixed this bottleneck. And so this is why we need to see reform. We're not out to just beat up the DPC. We're out to see better. And what we need is an attitude of reform and acknowledgement of problems and a, and a sense that maybe there are ways to do things better. Yes, it is very interesting. I suppose just to lighten what is a very darkly serious subject. Briefly, my own recent experience, you're talking about what I might be found out for online, but a brief experience I've had over recent weeks, I, I pick up a, a, a bass guitar and just go into a backing track on YouTube. But the ad that constantly uh, starts off the piece is um, if you're learning guitar later in life, and this means... What Excuse do you mean later you. in life? How do you know I, am I later in how do you know I'm later in life? Yeah. Who put me in that bracket? Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's on the tiniest, most superficial level, but uh, yes. even that got up my nose, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know, the there's a question about about advertising. Advertising has worked for well over a century and longer, but in, in the mass advertising sense, it's worked for a long time. And it worked when brands could build up uh, a large awareness. Now, there's a there's a great guy called Bob Hoffman who ran two ad agencies, and he's now an elderly statesman of the advertising industry. And Bob has a great test. He says, late tonight, when, like me, 
this is Bob, you need to go and pee because your bladder is now smaller and less elastic. And you go down to your fridge freezer and you illuminate your room by opening up the door. Count the number of brands in, in that fridge freezer that were built on digital. And the answer is zero. Zero. Yeah. We know that advertising works in cinema, radio, outdoor, print. We know that. In the online world, some advertising may be working, but actually the degree of fraud in the online advertising domain where software masquerading as people pretends to look at ads and then the advertiser gets charged for that has been estimated in the in the billions of euro. It's, it's a huge problem. So we have two problems. One is the advertiser is suffering fraud. And the other commercial problem is the Examiner or the Independent or the Irish Times is allowing other companies to find out who reads their pages. And that means that you can find their audiences cheaper somewhere else. So we're, we're letting our audiences be arbitraged and leaked out. And we cannot charge the same for Mick when he visits our page today. We can't charge the same for him today that we would have charged for him yesterday. Because you can find Mick as an examiner reader on clickbait.com. And you know it's Mick. That's a problem. It is. It's one of many. And uh, it's a fascinating insight. Dr. Johnny Ryan, thanks very much for joining us today. The, the report is entitled Europe's Enforcement Paralysis. And I think, folks, um, everybody, because every one of us it would seem has a phone. Every one of us is online. We all need to wake up just that little bit. Johnny, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Mick. Thanks a lot. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you folks for listening. You can get our podcast wherever you do get your podcasts. And please, if you get a chance, let us know what you think. Stay by the wall and uh, keep the head down. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.